0: We've had a weekend of partying in the house of God. I don't know, you You, you missed 13 baptisms last night. If you missed it, we're going to have a little video vignette of that that's coming up, I think. Hank, paparazzi. Okay, good. Um, we. I'm telling you, what a party last night of uh, hearing the testimonies of people's lives that have been transformed by the power and the grace of God. And so, so thankful. Five baby dedications. You know, we've done, I don't know, Peter, how many baby dedications we've we done in the last two or three years? It's 60 or 70 babies in this church. Isn't that awesome? That is that is worth celebrating. And uh, we, you know, it's so much to be thankful for. I, I'm just going to tell you, there's some significant announcements coming up with the building. And uh, very important that you, you know that. It's just gonna be a continued celebration time for us. And uh, Jim just wanted me to make sure that you knew that that $200,000 wasn't just for the floor. It was for ease troughs, and it was for gutters, and it, well, that's the same thing. It was for, uh, that's why I'm not building the church right there. <laughs> that thing carrying the water away. What's that called? Anyway, uh, all kinds of stuff that went into that, and so that's continuing to happen, and the the building is buttoned up completely, and uh, we're just getting ready for that next big push, which is going to be the final push. So can you pray? Because I'm telling you, something significant is about to be announced in the next few weeks uh, that is going to be go, go, go time for our church. So hallelujah. We had a great party, and... uh, Amen. It's been a good weekend. I wanted to welcome a couple here today. And I want to do it because there's significance in this. And then so Russell and Glenn and their, and their sons Darren and Jayden, wave at us. Where are you guys? Right over there. So they're from South Africa. How cool is that? Okay. Now, from South Africa, they moved to the, they moved to the west coast of Canada. God called them to come here and to be part of a church in Nanaimo. And uh, But you know what, the Lord has been burdening them and calling them to plant a church in Edmonton. I said, the Lord moved me from north to south, and he's moving you from warmth to cold. Something's wrong here you're really holy people so we welcome you and we bless you in the name of the Lord and we're excited that God is moving people from South Africa to influence the nation of Canada and particularly in Edmonton so can you give them a hand for their sacrifice and service (laughs) hallelujah uh you know we are we have been in our series uh saving hope and, and really that uh, we've been, you know, we've been kind of living in this, uh, this series of uh, living hope, sorry. And, uh, you know, living in the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact that, you know, the Bible talks about these appearings of God. These epiphanies is the word in the Greek. And these appearings of God, the first appearing of God some 2,000 years ago. How many of you know has changed the world? How many of you know it changed 11 lives last night? The appearing of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago came. An epiphany happened. Salvation came upon mankind. And for 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been transforming lives across the globe. What an incredible thing to be part of, this incredible epiphany of God. But you know what we've been celebrating and preparing for and why we've been having these sermons and talking about the fact that a second epiphany is about to happen. The word epiphany has this... The root word epi basically means a super imposition upon time and space. That God is bringing an epi. A superimposition upon time and space. And the Bible talks about in the last days a second appearing, a second epi is about to happen. And Jesus Christ is coming this time not as the suffering servant but he is coming as the king of kings and the lord of lords to establish righteousness, peace and joy on planet earth forever and forever and forever, amen. That's good news. That's better than any governmental change that Canada might need and experience. Just putting that out there. It's the government of God, the best of all governments, amen. So the king's about to return. So really, we've been talking as a church family, and those of you that are joining us today, you're, you're just going to come along for the ride for, with us a little bit today. And uh, we've been talking about how ought we to live, knowing that the King of Kings is about to return to planet Earth. And, you know, and uh, those of us that are ready for that return, those of us that have said, Lord, I, I want to live my life for you, he's coming with his reward. He's coming to say, well done, good and faithful servants. I'm going to tell you, part of our reward is going to be the building of this church. We think we're only building a church for here and for now, but I'm telling you, whatever we do here and now in Jesus' name will go with us in eternity for eternity. And so it's bigger than building a church. Though while we're here, we need this church to influence and to transform people's lives to be able to celebrate again and again and again people that are being changed by the power of God. So I want to talk today for a few minutes about an attitude I think that we need to have. And it's going to sound a little bit uh, contradictory at first. But this is one of the great attitudes in your life and one of the great expressions in your life that if you will do this, it actually will lead you to greater victory in your life. And as believers and followers of God, I want you to understand that one of the key elements of doing that is to establish a lifestyle of confession. Confession a lifestyle of confession. I grew up Catholic, so that's right away I straightened up in my seat the minute I said that, even in my own spirit. But let me tell you a little bit, confession is not a negative thing in the kingdom. It's an incredibly powerful, positive thing. I, I looked up confession in, in, uh, just in the Webster's Dictionary, and here's what it had. A formal statement admitting one's guilty of a crime. Confession in many religions is the acknowledgement of one's sins or wrongdoings, But also confession is the affirmation of essential religious practice or doctrine. So there's a positive confession and there's a seemingly negative confession, but I'm going to tell you it's only seemingly negative because when you understand that when you confess your faults and your failures and your slip-ups and your sins, actually what happens to you is Christ comes in and erases that and establishes you and builds you from that point on. So when you understand the power of confession, you're going to live a lifestyle that says, God, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting because the only thing that Christ has for you is forgiveness and love and victory. And so that's what we want to talk about. I grew up, I told you, Catholic and uh, confession was part of my lifestyle. But I'll just kind of share the scary parts of it first. So... You know, confession, you would go in the confessional booth, and in the Catholic Church, you can't see the priest, but he sees you through this, like, magic window. <laughs> and so you're in this booth, and tell me, my son, what have you done? I'm like, I want to lie right now a lot. You know, you know like, <laughs> anyway, it's kind of this, this freaky thing a little bit, but I'm going to get there. Hang on. So I remember once in grade six, and they didn't warn us in Catholic school, they just put us on a bus and said, we're going to church for confessional. And as you're on the bus driving to us, we were part of a resurrection parish. We were like, oh, I'm getting ready for a confessional. What am I going to say today? What can, what can I say? What can I can't say? What do I want to hide still? What do I want to bring out? Like you're just going through the whole gamut of emotions. But, you know, at least, at least you can't see the priest, so it's all good. And then we get there, and there's like 50 priests there. And they're all sitting in a chair with another chair sitting right in front of them. And for the first time in my life, I'm standing face to face with the priests, confessing my sin. Can I be honest with you? Yeah, I'm going to be anyway. You might <laughs> as well accept it. I don't know if I really confessed every sin in that moment. I think I had more to confess afterwards because... I definitely did not tell all the truth in that moment because it was this terrifying moment of coming clean. Are you following me? But I want you to get something that's really kind of important for you to get. I think the Catholics had it right. There's a credible power in being able to confess something to your brothers and your sisters when you've done something wrong. There's a power in that, and this isn't my opinion. This is the Word of God. It says, confess one another, in James five sixteen. Therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Confess. Confess those things in your life that you need to lay down because, you know, this is what hit me as I was preparing this this week. You know the tagline at the end that says, The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. I have always read that as being the person I'm confessing to is righteous. Therefore, if I will confess, then power will come to me. But you know what God said to me? Greg, you're righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you confess, there is power that is released through your prayer. And when you're holding things in, when you're hiding, when you're justifying, when you're deflecting, when you're blaming, when you're not confessing, you're killing the power that God has wants to release in your life. And so there's nothing but grace waiting for us. And I'm going to prove that statement I just made to you, that really you start from a position of righteousness with Jesus Christ, which makes everything different. In the way we confess. But let's pray as we wade through this. For the next. 22 minutes. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) You are good. You have made us righteous. And I pray father God. That you will come right now. And set captives free in this audience. Who have been afraid to confess. Who have been hiding in the dark places. Thinking this is what I have to do. But Lord, we fight our battles by coming to you by confessing Christ Jesus and the victory that is ours in him. I thank you for every person here. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So confessing, first of all, starts from knowing our position in Christ. And if you have your Bible, I'm gonna just kinda launch into Psalm 32 for a little bit. I'm going to work through it quickly because it's it's just self-evident when we read it. It starts off in Psalm 32. How happy and fulfilled are those whose rebellion has been forgiven, whose sins are covered by blood. How blessed and and relieved are those who have confessed their corruption to God, for he wipes their slate clean and removes hypocrisy from their hearts. You know, this is the foundation of Christianity. Christianity. This is the foundation of what Christ has done. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world, is that I actually am being invited by God into a place of righteousness. You've heard me preach this many times. Righteousness means right standing with. And you know this, it's the pursuit of every religion in the world. Every religion in the world says, I want to be right with God, and in order to be right with God, I've got to do A, B, C, D, 3, all the way to Z. Z. And then back to A again. And Jesus comes along with this revolutionary new religion. And this new religion basically says, what you've been seeking and what you've been trying to do on your own, you can't do it on your own. But if you will confess your need of me, I will actually give you righteousness. So in Christianity, you actually start at the finish line. It's an ultra-marathon. You're all standing there ready to race, and all the runners are ready to start. And if you say, Jesus, I can't really run this race without you, would you please come in, and would you forgive me of my sins? Here's all the things that I've done, and things I can't even see yet. God, come in and rescue me. And the minute you do that, you're at the finish line. You've won the race. It's done. This is what this is saying. Blessed are those who God will not count their sins against them. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. You know, that's what Christianity says. You can't earn righteousness. You can't earn a place with God. But God will give it to those who are saying, I need you, Lord. I can't do it on my own. And so that's really our invitation. God, will we confess an, our need of knowing you? And when we do, the minute we do that, Christ imputes his righteousness to us imputes just means gives you it. He exchange, a grand exchange takes place. Are you following me? I acknowledge where I fall short, I acknowledge where I sin, I acknowledge where I'm broken, I acknowledge all those things and the minute I acknowledge it, Christ comes in and he exchanges with me his righteousness for my unrighteousness. It's the greatest incredible exchange in the history of the universe. That if you will but come clean with God, he will meet you right where you're at. You know, from the uttermost to the guttermost, it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is a door that is open. (laughs) It's a door that is narrow in other words you can't ride on your parents religion you can't get in you got to go in yourself you got to say you know what i'm i'm coming through the door and it's a door that's at street level it's not on a stage it's right down where you're at i don't care if you have to crawl you can get into jesus he's made a way And it's a low door, and that low door means you can't carry your burdens through. That low door means you have to take off the things that are holding you back before you come on. You have to lay them down. Does that make sense? This door is open. It's ready for every single one of you here today. This is the religion that I'm part of, that I'm inviting you to be part of. But, you know, you have a choice. We start off, you know, and... And, and, and so I'm living my life. I've invited Jesus to come into my life, and he's, he's accepted me. He's imputed righteousness to me. But what do I do from that point? Do I just, you know, do I carry on? I don't know about you, but, you know, since I've given my life to Jesus, how many of you know I still make mistakes? Betty said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. Just give me the hand wave, holy hand wave. No, she knows. You know that. Come on. So what what do I do now? Do I confess? I'm I'm stuck. I've been made righteous. What do I do? But you understand, when I have a lifestyle of confession, I know that when I confess, even when I make a mistake, even when I sin now as a Christian, and I say, God, would you come in and clean me up and help me? God says, I'm with you. The furthest place that Greg Fraser can fall is still being right with God. Wow. So who wouldn't long to live in confession? But you know, how many of you know we still have a choice, don't we? Because listen to what Psalm 32 goes on and says. It says, before I confessed my sins, I kept them all inside. My dishonesty devastated my inner life, causing my life to be filled with frustration, irrepressible, irrepressible anguish and misery. The pain never let up. For your hand of conviction was heavy upon my heart. My strength was sapped, my inner life dried up like a spiritual drought within my soul. Wow. You know, I find that even for those of you here today that are believers, there's some of us that have taken a path in our life, and we're saying, well, you know, I'm saved, I can keep doing whatever I wanna do. But you know, God says, actually, no, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so we are, we're faced with a choice because every day Christ comes into my life and he's saying, Greg, you know, you, you're, you're living right now not the way I want you to live in this area. Would you confess that to me? He doesn't even say, change it. <laughs> he says, confess it. It's the starting point of transformation. You know why I know that? Because when Greg Fraser tries to fix himself, how many of you know he ends up with a worse form of self? All the time. And so I, I need to understand that the way I started this relationship with God, the helplessness with which I had when I came to God and said, God, would you forgive me my sins? I'm telling you, I was broken, I was lost, I was desperate, and God came in and met me. But you know what? The thing is this. I'm still desperate and broken and lost without Christ's power in my life. So even when I make mistakes now, I, you know, my temptation, and I'll get there in a second, my temptation is to try to fix it myself. And so confession becomes a critical part of our life. You see, this guy wouldn't confess his sins, and his inner life was drying up. Something was dying within him. But look what happens when he does confess. It says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Beautiful. You see, confession is meant to be a permanent part of the Christian's life. It's our lifestyle. You see, but it's not a condemning confession. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Because I think many Christians live under a condemnation. Because they have a misunderstanding of the victory that comes in confession. And that brokenness in their life is because they don't understand the power Of confession. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, God designed us to feel remorse over our sins in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regret, but the sorrow of the world works death. Worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. See, here's the difference, and I need you to understand this today, because I want you to have a lifestyle of confession. See, worldly sorrow points to self as the solution. That's what worldly sorrow does. You know, I've been with people as a pastor now for 25 years. I've been with people wailing wailing at the altar for sins they've committed and then going the next day and they recommit the sin. In other words, they're living under worldly sorrow. There's not a brokenness there. There's a regret for getting caught there which is what we have to let go of. You understand? So this worldly sorrow tries to work its way in, and every time that Greg Fraser sins, I'm going to tell you there's two forces that go to work. The Holy Spirit goes to work on me to produce godly sorrow that leads to repentance and life and victory. And the devil and the world goes to work on me that leads to worldly sorrow that leads only to death. Those are our two choices. Let me talk about them for a few seconds so we can understand them. I said worldly confession points to self as Lord. You see, when you point to self, it takes you down a road, and the first self part that it points to is a word word called self-righteousness. In other words, what happens is uh, Greg Fraser tries to fix himself. And self-righteousness either leads to pride on one side of the coin or condemnation on the other. And let me explain that to you. When I try to fix myself, how many of you know I end up either proud or very exhausted? Either one of them is death. So how does pride work? Well, when I live self-righteously, and I live, you know, I live in this world, and I, be very careful, Christians, right now in our world, and I'll tell you why. You know, it's not hard to be better than the world right now. So we can be, we can be tempted to be self-righteous, In a world that does not know God, nor care about God, nor understand their need to be righteous and free, and we can say, well, I'm better than them. And that self-righteous statement begins to produce death in us. You know, it's hardly victory to say that, you know, thou shall not kill. Well, I didn't kill anybody. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yay. You... You deserve a break today. You didn't kill anybody. (laughs) Right? But we're living in a world, how many of you figure that out? We're living in a world that's becoming more twisted and more broken and good is becoming evil and evil is becoming good. And so there's a point where we have to start looking at, you know, the problem is we look at the world and we think they're the standard of righteousness with God. How many of you know you're not the standard of righteousness with God? The person next to you is not the standard of righteousness with God? There's only one standard of righteousness, and his name is Jesus. You know, there's an analogy I read one time, and I thought it was a good analogy. If God said to you, in order to be right with me, you have to jump to the moon. That's it. So what do we do? If we're self-righteous, we start jumping. I'm not even going to try to jump, because it... Michaela, would you stand up (laughs) Devin? No. There's a funny story about Michaela jumping and being used as an example in her gym class as to how not to jump. So, But I won't make her do that, because I love her. I'll pay for that later like you have no idea. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Okay, are you following me? Now, if I, jump, if I can jump the height of this stage, four feet, how many of you know that would be fairly significant? Cole, could you jump the height of the stage? You could, I know you could, and you're lying to me right now. So Cole is one of these guys that could actually probably jump the height of the stage from a standstill, could jump onto the stage. I could not do that. I would flat face right onto the stage. It would be bad. Are you with me? So if I'm the guy jumping next to Cole, Cole jumps onto the stage, and I can only jump maybe six inches off the ground. Now, Cole may look at me and say, what a loser. I can't believe I'm thinking of marrying into this family. Oh he hasn't said that yet, but I I don't know. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just pushing the envelope there. Okay, okay. okay, okay. <laughs> now, now you understand if Cole is the standard of righteousness, I'm in trouble. Because he can jump like ten times higher than me. But how many of you know if you can jump six feet and I can jump two inches or six inches? And the distance to the moon is 262,000 kilometers. Does it really matter that Cole can jump six feet? <laughs> Do you understand? We're not the standard. And so self-righteousness begins to lead us down a pathway of death. And what happens when self-righteousness doesn't work, then we, we move into this idea of, of pride. And pride just leads us to being blind. We're actually blind when we become proud at how good we are. And that's not the heart of God. Because again, you're not the standard. Neither is the person that you can jump higher than the standard. Christ is the standard. And he's giving you the finish line. So then what happens to most Christians is we move from pride to condemnation. And condemnation will kill you just as much as pride. Condemnation is like, um, what a loser I am. Do you ever have conversations with God like, God, just give me another chance and I'll do better next time. Don't have that conversation. You will not do better next time. Because <laughs> you're injured yourself trying to do better this time and you're just going to be a more pathetic form of yourself the next time. In other words, every single time you have one choice and it's to turn to God and say, God, I've I, I failed, I've sinned. Meet me here. And God will do that. And that's important for you to get. You see, self-righteousness leads to pride or condemnation. But there's another form of self that I think Christians need to hear me now. It's selfishness. And selfishness says this. I have asked Jesus into my heart, and therefore I don't have anything else to do. I can just live my life the way I want to live my life and do whatever I want. That is a lie that has come into the church because you are bought with a price. Your life's not your own. That's the grand exchange. All your yunky junky crap that you gave to God in exchange for his goodness, his love, his grace, his righteousness, his peace, his joy, his victory, adopted into the family of God, made right before God, all that comes as a grand exchange. And God says, live your life for me now. And when you fall down, confess. Get up and keep running. That's the victory. You see, we want to move away from self because worldly sorrow leads and points only to self as the solution, but godly confession points to Christ as the solution. points to Jesus. See, we've been saved and set free not to live for ourselves, church, We've been saved and set free to live with and for God. I'm moving along here. Godly confession points to Christ. There's a great story in the book of John where Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about the need for confession, and, and I'll, I'll waste I'll go through this quickly, the 13th chapter of John. Uh, Jesus gets up and he, he takes off his outer garment. He begins to t- uh, peel away that, that which the vulnerability he begins to expose. you know that, how many of you know? Uh, back in the Old Testament there was a guy called Adam and the Bible says he was, you know, the Adam covered up when he sinned. He covered up and he hid and, and he blamed, right? He blamed his wife, he blamed God. The woman you put here with me made me do this. You understand? But the second Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam, he came and he uncovered. He, he, he basically made himself vulnerable and he began to take the role of a servant and he washed the disciples' feet you can read about the story at the Last Supper. He's washing their feet, and he goes around, and he's like, I need to wash your feet. And Peter's like, Lord, you will not wash my feet. He says, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You know, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And so Peter, of course, being the extremist, says, then not just my feet. I need a bath, my whole head, my toe, everything. Cover my, cover my body. Jesus is like, Peter, you've been with me for three years. like, dude, you were already clean. You're already clean, you've had a bath, you understand? You've already confessed Christ, you've already invited Jesus into your heart, you're you're already clean Peter, but I'm gonna tell you your feet are dirty because your feet is the point of contact with the world and you need to continually understand that your life and my life, when I am walking in this world, there's a place of contact that I need to confess to God so that I'm cleaned up. And that's what I need to do with my confession. See, because worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly confession leads to life and to victory. Because, you know, do you think you've ever done anything that has surprised God? <laughs> Does God pause heaven and just look down and say, Oh, oh ah! No, never. It's never happened once. You you think you got it going on and you turn a spiritual corner and all of a sudden the devil just comes right out of you. Anybody ever figured this out yet? What do you do? You try to fix it yourself. You try to run. You hide. You blame. You justify. You complain. You point at somebody else. Jesus, look at them. They're way worse than me. No, you say, God, forgive me. (laughs) Help me to walk with you. Help me to live with you. See, this is the lifestyle of Confession. It's powerful. It's powerful. This is what God wants to do in your life and in my life. See, confession sees Christ as the solution, not self. Amen? So today I'm going to tell you there are some of you here today. I had a whole example. I'm going to move it to next week. There are some of you here today that you need to take the first step of confession. There's some of you here today that you're like, I've never asked Jesus to come into my life. I'm gonna ask the band to come on back up here. You can fight this battle on your own, or you can ask Jesus to come into your life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Blessed is he whose sins are forgiven Whose sins the Lord will never count against him. But but, but I kept silent, and and when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, and all kinds of stuff went wrong in my life. But when I confessed, God, you met me, and you forgave me, and you forgave the guilt, the weight, the heaviness of my sin. You know, when I was at my sister-in-law's baptism, when I was 20 years old, 21, turning 21 in eight days, At her baptism that day, you know, the pastor began to preach about my need to confess Christ. And I'm telling you, everything in my life was like screaming to say, run. (laughs) You're in this freaky religious world. Get out of here. Run, run, run. But God is like, I have something for you, and I want to set you free. I want to set you free from your fear, and I want to set you free from your brokenness. So you know what we're going to do? I'm ending it a little bit short today, but I want to give us some time. If you're here today and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you've never said, God, would you come in and forgive me of my sin? I'm going to tell you there's nothing but grace and peace and love waiting for you. Nothing. Jesus has paid the price so you don't have to pay it. That's the invitation. I'm going to ask you in a minute, if you've never asked Jesus in your life, I'm going to ask you in a moment if you want to do that. But I'm going to speak first to those of us that have already asked Jesus in our life. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I've not been really living a lifestyle of confession, Pastor Greg. I've been living a worldly confession and I'm feeling very condemned. Or maybe you're living a worldly confession and you're feeling very proud Or maybe you're just selfish and you're saying, well, I can do whatever I want because, you know, Jesus died for me. That's a lie. (laughs) So for those of you that are believers, I'm going to ask you first to say, you know what? I need to confess so that I'm not on this hamster treadmill of confession or pointing my finger at other people or thinking that I don't need to be serious about growing in my life. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads, everybody here. Close your eyes. And I'm going to speak to believers first. Those of you that have confessed Christ for the first time. If that's you here today, but you're saying, Pastor Greg, I need to grow in a lifestyle of confession. Some things I need to let go of. There's some self-hatred I need to let go of. There's some condemnation. I don't know. Maybe there's some pride. Maybe there's some selfishness. You know. I'm going to tell you the minute you confess it Jesus is going to come in and wash that away but you need to make that step don't keep it hidden if that's you here today as a believer I need you to say I need to start developing more of a lifestyle of confession if that's you raise your hand right now with me in just a moment but I believe there are people here today that you need to confess Jesus Christ for the first time you need to say Lord I need you to come into my life I need you to forgive me I need you to take me to the finish line because I can't get there on my own I need Jesus Christ I need to ask God to help me to live victoriously in him. If that's you here today, you know what, be bold. I remember when I raised my hand on that day when I was 20 years old, I felt the power of God flow through my body and every weight in the world was on that hand to not raise it. But the moment I shot it up, God met me. If that's you here today and you want to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you. I want you to raise your hand right now. Yes, 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 Lord. God, thank you for these eight or 10 people that have raised their hand here today to begin the journey of walking in a powerful lifestyle of confessing Christ and the victory that is in Christ Jesus. And if you raise your hand the first time or the second time, we're going we're to just stand up right now and we're all going to pray a prayer aloud. everybody stand to your feet. If you've ever asked Jesus in your life or you just raised your hand for the first time, follow me in this prayer. We're going to confess Jesus Christ. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Now help me to live for you. I invite Jesus into my life. Forgive my sins, God give me victory. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's give these people a hand here today.